0: welcome to moments with m3 leadership podcast where mary malone and her guests have authentic conversations about leadership navigating transitions and finding purpose both at work and at home we hope this conversation will give you the inspiration power and courage to reach for greatness while making a difference for someone else now here's your host mary malone mccarthy
1: Welcome to Moments with M3 Leadership Podcast. My name is Mary Malone McCarthy, and I'm so excited to welcome all of you. Wow, did we have a fantastic conversation teed up for you all today. I have two great guests. I have Alexander McCobin, who is the CEO of Conscious Capitalism, Inc., And we also have Michael Harth, who is one of the original founders of Laz Parking, two outstanding leaders that have so much to share, so many great stories to tell. But before we get started, I'd like to tell you a little bit about both. Alexander is the CEO of Conscious Capitalism, Inc., as mentioned, and he is dedicated to elevating humanity by improving the practice and perception of business. In his youth, Alexander's entrepreneurial drive led him to start and run several businesses, both for profit. And nonprofit. During college, though, he didn't see business as a way to change the world. He thought that the way to do that was through academia. And so he began a PhD program in philosophy at Georgetown University. And as he began to work on a dissertation regarding corporate moral responsibility, he attended the first Conscious Capitalism annual conference back in 2013, where he was inspired by business leaders dedicated to changing the world. Within a year, he left Georgetown without the PhD and dedicated himself to running one of the businesses he had started during his undergraduate time. Before he joined CCI staff, he turned that organization into a multi-million dollar operation. Alexander's got a wealth of knowledge and a great story to tell us today. And as mentioned, we also have Michael Harth. And as I got to know Michael, it is completely clear to me that he leads with his people's best interests first and foremost. So let me tell you a little bit about Michael. Michael is one of the original founders of Laz Parking and is responsible for protecting, nurturing, and developing Laz's unique culture. After graduating with a psychology degree from the University of California at San Diego, Michael founded Sunset Parking, the West Coast brand of Laz Parking. He developed Sunset Parking into a leader in the hospitality service industry with more than 175 locations, all defined by his commitment to delivering service with exceptional integrity and professionalism. And back in 2008, Michael joined Laz Parking as a senior partner after merging Sunset Parking with his childhood best friends, Alan Lazowski and Jeffrey Karp. Michael oversees the company's human resources department ensuring that above all, LAZ remains all about the people. I'm so looking forward to today's conversation. Let's jump right in because I think everyone who participates and takes some time to listen will walk away with some, some fantastic thoughts and ideas. So let's get started. Welcome to Moments with M3, our podcast. And we're thrilled to have both Michael and Alexander with us here today. And Michael, I wanted to start out talking a little bit about Last Parking from your early years to now, becoming one of the nation's largest parking companies. It's a fantastic story. And I think it's much in part due to you and your partner's vision and your commitment to your team and your customers. So if you could tell us a little bit more about that story, I really enjoyed reading and then hearing it from you firsthand.
0: Great, thanks for asking. Yeah, it is kind of a fun story. I grew up back east in a small town in Connecticut called Bloomfield and had two best friends from the age of junior high, like 12 years old, and grew up together. I eventually moved to California to go to college. Jeff Carp, one of my best friends, moved to Boston and Alizowski State in the Hartford area where we grew up. As I was graduating college, I decided to start a valet parking company and shared the idea with them. That was back in 1981. And so within three months, we had three different valet companies in three different cities and we were all basically college kids. And uh, you fast forward 28 years later, Jeff and I eventually actually merged after a couple of years and I kept my company separate, Uh, but we remained best friends and very close contact. And Spent a lot of meaningful time together over those years. And we were approached actually by a French parking company. It was one of the largest parking companies in the world, but they weren't in the US. And so they wanted to actually purchase Laz Parking, which is what Jeff and Al called their company originally. And they did a deal with the French and they. French bought in as a 50% owner of the company. And then we rolled my company in, which was based in San Diego. So they were primarily East Coast and I was on the West Coast. We, we kind of said we bookend the country. <laughs> um, and then over the next decade, from that was from 2007 through today, we just grew. We did a number of acquisitions, but most of our growth was organic. Mm. And so we went from uh, when we put the companies together back in late 07, Early two thousand and eight, we were about twenty two hundred employees and about six hundred locations. And today we're about thirty three hundred locations and about fourteen thousand employees pre COVID. So um, we had a lot of great growth. Most of it was organic. We have a lot of great people and we've it's been a fun ride, we feel very fortunate.
1: Fantastic. Could you have ever imagined, you know, coming out of college saying, Let's let's start this gig and earn some money and see where it takes us to be a company of this size today?
0: Yeah, I mean people say, you know, did you have a vision blah blah blah, you know, back then it was like survival. Right exactly. Over the years, you know, obviously we learned a lot and we've had a lot of fun and a lot of success. It's been it's been a great great ride.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. And Alexander, you know, our our audience, I'm sure, and we're hearing it more and more now about talking about, you know, conscious leadership, conscious organizations, but I'm not sure how how familiar they are with conscious capitalism, the the actual organization and the summits that we've had pre-COVID and the value that has offered to so many individuals as leaders, as employees and as organizations. I'd love if you could tell our audience a little bit more about conscious capitalism.
2: Well, Mayor Malone, thank you for inviting us to talk with you and your audience because conscious capitalism is Coming close to reaching a tipping point oh. This is a philosophy of business and capitalism that emphasizes the human nature of these endeavors something that seems to have been lost for a few decades there with what was taught in business schools or how it was described in the media or even how some business leaders practiced business but Fundamentally, it's about understanding that businesses exist to serve a higher purpose than maximizing profit. It is about using profit to serve other people, to serve humanity in the world in another way. And there have been businesses run on this premise for generations, like last parking that we're going to talk about more soon, I'm sure. But for the first time a little over a decade ago, business leaders who shared this worldview came together. To first start having roundtable discussions about what this means, how to change the perception of business and capitalism away from just being about maximizing profit to being about something greater and using profit to that end. And over the years, it's turned into this global movement that is really taking hold. First beginning with the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, writing a letter to CEOs saying that they need to adopt a higher purpose and stakeholder orientation to succeed. Then with the Business Roundtable, adopting a new purpose of the corporation, the World Economic Forum, are arguing that businesses need to be stakeholder-oriented, we're reaching a tipping point where there's an opportunity to achieve what conscious capitalism thinks or our organizational goal and vision of a future where conscious capitalism is redundant. And it's because there are incredible businesses and leaders like Michael and Laz and others that are a part of the conscious capitalism movement really driving that forward with their own activities and sharing it with other business leaders like what you're doing right now.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you. Fantastic. You know, and, and it was my experience of going to the first CEO Summit was, you know, just remarkable. And I remember just feeling such a sense of shared values and common purpose and passions. And and although it's many, many different industries, people are really focused on, you know, as you say, elevating humanity, doing the right thing, caring for their people and their, their organizations and all of those different stakeholders, you know, and, and one of the tenets of conscious capitalism is your team, your people in your organization. And with the work that we do in executive search and strategic HR, it was something that we talked about all of the time. And so I was so so glad to have become connected to the organization and to learn more from other folks of what they're doing to, to really make an impact. And you're right, I think we are at a tipping point. And I think that a lot of employees Great talent is raising the bar as far as their expectations, but I think that you know the need for conscious organizations to impact every facet of the work that they do in the communities they are a part of is, is so mission critical today. Michael, you describe yourself as a, an unconscious conscious leader before you met the Conscious Capitalism organization, and I would share the the same perspective on things. In that, as I read more about Last Parking, it was it was clear to me that right from Day one, you were very much unconscious, conscious leaders and the people of your organization and um, the, the folks that were your customers were were such a valuable part of your success. Tell us more about you know how you became connected with conscious capitalism and the organization and what it's meant to you as as a leader along with your partners.
0: Yeah, thanks. It's funny because Every business has its own culture, its own style of doing business. And typically that emulates from leadership and and, and flows down through the organization. And so I, I think we've always seen ourselves as a people first company. I mean, we're we're a service business and we're deploying people to the front line to our clients, whether they're hotels or shopping malls or office buildings or running parking for a city or an airport. So our frontline people really are labs. I mean, that's what makes our company who we are. That's the perception. So, we've always known that the people obviously are the most important part. Plus, myself and my partners, we started on the front line as valet partners. I mean, right. we learned the business from the ground up, literally. So, you know, we've always appreciated and focused on the people side of the business. And then over the years, as we, our culture became more distinct, you know, we started refining that with our mission and our values. Like our mission is to create opportunities for our employees and value for our clients. And we purposely put the employees first Mm -hmm. because creating opportunities for people. That's one of the number one things I think this country was founded on was creating opportunities for people and Mm -hmm. and living the the dream, so to speak. And so when, when I ran into conscious capitalism locally in the San Diego chapter and was really kind of taken with what their mission was about, and with that I found out about the CEO summit. And um, I went and um, I encouraged my partners to go and we got to know Alex and some of the key stakeholders in the movement. And really, they kind of became our friends and our tribe. And we started realizing, wow, this is just a room full of like people who, you know, at the end of the day, I think conscious companies put people over profit. And it doesn't mean that they're not profit focused, because I mean, this is it's called conscious capitalism. Um, I like to say if there's, there's no profit, there's no party. I mean, you can't run a business without generating profit and reinvesting and growing the business. And that's how we create more opportunities for people. But you can do it in a way where, you know, it's not all about the dollars. It's really more about the people. And it's like a snowball effect that gets bigger. The more energy and time and money and investment you put into your people, The more they grow, the more committed they are to the organization. I think that's part of the reason why our, our organic growth has been so phenomenal is we create what we call the mojo, the last mojo, and the new markets we go into and we get people excited about, you know, this is parking, but you know what? If you're kind of trying to change the world along the way, it gets a lot more meaningful than just counting your dollars at the end of every day.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and putting your people first is is where it all starts. Just you see the statistics, and Gallup has done a number of great surveys about you know, when people feel valued and really a part of an organization and trusted, right? That they feel as though they're they're in good hands, so to speak. They're going to give you everything they have because they want you to be successful. Successful, and then the company starts to thrive. And so it's really a win-win across across the board. And and it's it, quite honestly, as I always say, it's the right thing to do. It's pretty rewarding when you see your team. thrive. Driving, And you're changing that individual's life who's working at your organization. They go home a better person, a better partner, spouse, and hopefully impact the communities that they're a part of. So it's a great approach.
0: Yeah, a good friend of mine and mentor, her, whose name is also Mary, calls it human business human. We, we come to work as humans, we do business together, and we go home as humans. And, and I think businesses need to realize that it is about the people it is it is the humanity first and last yeah. and the business is sandwiched in between
1: absolutely absolutely alexander you you had commented more than once about you know there's there's no checklist you know someone comes to you and says you know we want to be a conscious organization how do we do that there isn't a checklist that you have to punch everything on that off it's more of i think an evolution and it really starts with your values your vision, the tenants, but tell us a little bit more about how you bring conscious companies together that may have be further down the road on that journey and others that are feeling like this is right for us. This is how we want to leave. It's a very altruistic approach, but they need some help and guidance.
2: So you're absolutely right. There is no 20 set checklist for companies <laughs> to say, yep, we do that. We do that. And so we're a conscious company or we're not. It's, yeah. it's also not a binary. It really is a journey, as you said, where businesses and leaders recognize there's always an opportunity to do better, to be more conscious in their endeavors, and to live up to their potential. Now, there are four tenets of conscious capitalism that businesses should be run on to be conscious capitalist businesses. Those are to have a higher purpose than maximizing profit. As Michael said, profit's not bad. It's really important to serving that purpose but recognize that the profit isn't the end goal of a business, it's the means of serving a higher end. Mm -hmm. Second is stakeholder orientation. Getting out of a trade-off win-lose mindset where if you're going to help your employees, you must be taking away from your customers or your shareholders and instead find win-win-win solutions where everyone can benefit because that's what business is fundamentally about. Everyone being better off because of the company and its activity than if it didn't exist. The third tenet is conscious leadership, really coming in as a leader, not only with analytic intelligence or even emotional intelligence, but thinking about how to scale that systemically and even get to a spiritual intelligence of embodying the values of the company, perhaps even bringing in love and empathy, that human to human understanding and connection that is so important. And lastly, conscious culture, Really being a place where people can bring their full authentic selves to work and actually be more effective as Workers that because they are full people. They're real people there Like Michael said, they're human beings before they come to work. They're humans after they leave work and they're humans at work, too and What conscious capitalism does is bring businesses and business leaders together who are in different phases of that journey, some who have been practicing this for decades and want to share what they're doing with others that are new, and those that discover this and either say, that's exciting, there's a lot I can learn from and I'm already aligned with this, or they're skeptical and they want to see how this can actually be a better way to do business and provide that peer-to-peer support network for everyone to go on this journey together.
1: Absolutely. And that was one of the, I found the most impactful moments for me attending the summit was the willingness to share uh, best practices and to connect and to, to really be genuinely interested in your business and your people and how you take care of your teams. And I think that it's fantastic. And you know, we often say at M3, and I'm such a firm believer in this, is that behind every resume is a person, is a story. And sometimes it's a highlight that they're moving in their career. And sometimes it's a, it's a hurdle and it's a challenge. And so we work passionately about getting to know the whole person and what they're looking for and what journey that they're on. And so when we can connect with conscious companies, the synergy is is fantastic. And a lot of times it's about understanding a person's values, a person's interests, and, and do they match up with that organization? And so for me, it's thrilling to see conscious organizations that are putting their people first and foremost, because it is it's all about human beings. And especially now in a pandemic, such as what we're all experiencing, that organization is really the lifeline for many people currently. So it's fantastic. Are you seeing more people reaching out to Conscious Cap, Inc, and looking for some guidance as they're working through this?
2: We're seeing that across the board with businesses reaching out, interested in learning, At the beginning of this pandemic, we had to pivot our annual conference from being an in-person event that typically draws hundreds of business leaders together to talk about conscious capitalism to a virtual event. And we weren't sure whether there would be any interest in this or how valuable other business leaders would see it. But we actually ended up drawing over 4,500 people to that virtual conference because there is so much demand right now from business leaders to understand how they can put conscious capitalism into practice in their business, going beyond the buzzwords and the inspiration, which are great starting points, but really getting into the practical application, what they can do and what they can learn from other conscious capitalist businesses and leaders who have already been succeeding at this already.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about last parking and, and how I think you are, are really living what. Conscious capitalism is all about day in and day out and and the organization as a whole and and the role that it has in helping companies that need that tribe, that they've been on this journey kind of independently and others that are looking to to grow and to build their organizations with a conscious cap mindset. I want to shift a little bit to talk about the role of HR in companies today and human resources and whether it's the CHRO or the chief people officer. It's really that person who helps preserve, enhance the culture, support the constant changes in an organization, the needs of the company recruiting and retaining the best talent that's out there, and also really being that guiding compass with a trusted partner for a CEO or a department manager or the executive team. I have seen just in our business how the role of HR has changed pretty significantly through the years. And, and I think it's fantastic because I always think say it's, it's probably one of the most, if not the most, important role in an organization. Like I mentioned some Gallup research earlier, and you just keep hearing these come up over and over that you know engaged employees are most likely to stay at their companies longer. We often say that the onboarding experience you know a person will make a decision how long they 're going to be at an organization within those first three months of joining an organization about that experience, and now what we 're seeing more than ever is top talent really paying attention to how that organization led and communicated and built trust through this pandemic. And we're seeing this kind of shift of people that don't feel like they've aligned, that it's the right organization for them to make a move, or those that are saying, I'm so grateful to be a part of this organization and I want to pursue my career now more than ever because of how we've led through this time. Michael, you you also had this fantastic of the HR department at LAS. is not the HR department. You talked about HR can take care of the tactical, but it's really the people and culture department. And I think, you know, as I said to you, I, I'm going to borrow that title if you don't mind, because I think it's outstanding. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more about this and, and what LAS has done to build this department and what your focus is in people and culture as a department.
0: Well, I I think you're you're spot on. I like to say there's two different sides of the HR coin. There's the the business side, which is compliance and ticking all the boxes. And you know, I won't go into all the details. Anybody who's in HR knows that there's just a lot of things that you need to do to make sure you're running your business properly and and compliant but the flip side of that is i think what you call the people or the culture side of hr which is how do we define the mission and the values of the companies and how do we make those you know living actualized things that we can do every day so they're not just words so many companies i think you know you can walk in you can see a a mission statement on the wall and the values and and that's fine but it's not about reading it it's about feeling it Mm -hmm. and very often we, we have a lot of new employees who come to the company and they'll, they'll remark, you know, I walked in and, you know, within a few seconds, I just felt something different. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be the way that they were welcomed when they came through the door for their interview and pre-COVID when we were doing it in person. and Or it might be the way somebody reached out to them just to check on how they're doing after they started. There's a lot of little different things you can do on the onboarding. But more than onboarding, it's it's creating a an environment, and a culture where at the end of the day, people feel valued and they feel trusted. And I don't think you can fake that. It has to be an authentic from the top down commitment that people are the most important part of the business. And, you know, actions speak much louder than words. Um, It takes years and years, I think to build a culture, you know, it's like growing a tree. It has to have roots. It has to be solid. And it takes It takes time. It doesn't mean you can't form a new company and have strong strong mission and values and and start right off on the right foot. But just like any, you're having a relationship, really, right? You know, people have relationships with each other and they have relationships with their their company, which on some level is just a network of relationships of people throughout that company. So we just realized at last that our differentiator was not you know there's there's a lot of people in our space that do what we do we like to say they don't do it the way we do it and when our clients start to get to know us especially to your point how the world is kind of changing they start to get to understand the spirit of the company and that we are a conscious company that we do care about our people that we're going to we're going to fight for our people we're going to invest in our people our retention rate amongst salaried employees is 86% and basically, when people join LAZ, very on uh, a career track, very few of them leave. We have a lot of hourly employees who come and go because that's at some point, you know, in their people's lives, it might be a transactional job. We have a lot of hourly employees that stick around for a while, too. But, you know, for the most part, we found our, our salaried career people just don't want to leave because we are willing to invest in them. Some of the things we've done along those ways, along that line is, We've started something called Laos University and we have online courses and you know, we have a graduation ceremony and we fly them back to the home office and they spend time with our senior team and you basically just invest in people. I mean, when you take somebody who's, you know, relatively early in their career and you put them through a eight to 10 week program online with 30 of their peers and then you fly them all back to the home office and they spend. Time, you know, with the founders of the company and the people running the company, and we listen to, you know, what are their dreams and what are they, where do they want their career to go, and how can we inspire and support them? You know, they leave there going, "This is insane! Like nobody's taken this much time." Okay. And and we have some amazing stories. One of my favorite stories is a woman named Gloria Blanco who. Was a cashier at a 99 cent store she came and applied at last this is in los angeles to be a cashier at one of our locations and we didn't have an opening but we said have you ever valley parked a car long story short she started valeting she started working at a hotel within six months she was an assistant manager within a year she was a manager of one of our most difficult locations and just was knocking it out of the park in terms of service and numbers and you know she said I, you know, nobody in my family's ever even had a management position like, you know, and she's in her early twenties and she's amazing. She's just this amazing person. And she walked in thinking she was going to be a cashier. And a year later, you know, she's running a location with 20, 30 employees and managing, you know, a million and a half dollar business and knocking it out of the park. And she's since gone on to do a lot of other really great things for us. But those are the types of things that get us excited. Wow. You know? doesn't get be any
1: better than that. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's only, and there's that's one story. There's, there's literally hundreds, not thousands.
1: Right. And probably not many other organizations that she felt really cared for her to the level that you did. And again, you know, we always say M3, you know, we have an opportunity to change lives. And that's a perfect example of her now becoming a manager and the first in her family and going home and being able to take care of her family differently than she may have in the past and just feel good about what she's doing every day. I mean, it's just, it's incredibly powerful when you have a chance to work with people and, and change, change their lives. So, and it, it is, I think there's something about the values and when you're interviewing and you're bringing people on board, it's not just about the skill sets. Tell me about you as a person and what makes you tick? What gets you excited? And are you the right fit for our organization? And do we share the values to do something really great together? In every single role in an organization.
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on. Got to be a good connection from the start.
1: It, absolutely, absolutely. Alexander, you see so many organizations, and there's got to be some common traits with people committed to this journey who are early again or far into it. And I know that Conscious Cap Inc. is actually starting an HR forum, and really committed to how do we move this forward and and help HR leaders to help. CEOs and different executives with that. Tell us a little bit more about Conscious Cap and where you see common traits and themes in organizations and where you see the future going with with HR.
2: So you're right. We are actively starting an HR forum for HR leaders in the Conscious Capitals Network to share their best practices with each other, to come up with new ideas and figure out what the best path forward is. Because there are different approaches to this and there are some similarities that we're finding between them. The most common one being what we're all talking about here so much of looking at the people in a company as people and Mm -hmm. really asking from the beginning, how do we treat them as people and help them be their full authentic selves when they come to work instead of looking them as a cog in a machine or as a tool to serve some other end? And even taking that perspective in some ways can be radical for HR, yeah. but in some ways also just seems so obvious to those of us who have been doing this for so long because these are people, they are the ones, as Michael said, that run, that are the relationships that make up what a company is. And so from there, we're seeing everything from new hiring practices being tested out, like open hiring at Grayson Bakery where they have no interviews, no background checks. The next person on the list gets a job and they make an HR case for that because it lowers their HR costs to do that. Mm -hmm. We're seeing second chance hiring where people are removing the felony record box to give people a second chance to come and work for them. That's been incredibly successful for some. We're seeing different review practices. That's much more empowering for people to drive their own responsibilities and accountabilities in a company rather than it being dictated to them. And and there are different experiments coming across the conscious capitalism community that need to be shared more actively, both within the community to try out and outside of it so that people realize there is a different way of doing this. There is a way for us to think more creatively about HR and culture and people and companies than what's just been traditionally done.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, and I'm so excited to, to be a part of this and, and to see where it goes. And it's fascinating, you know, because we love to work with organizations that haven't connected their job. They'll even call it the job application and the interview process. There's no connection to the values of the organization. And making it an authentic experience and really getting to know the person. And it's fascinating to me how many people we talk to that are exceptionally talented and are looking to make a move because that's what they're looking for. They want to feel connected to the organization. They want to have, I mean, the, the exact words the blues are shared values, shared purpose, a company that I can make a difference at. I want to make an impact. And we see this time and time and time again. And so it's, it's so impactful when you start to peel back the layers of um, how do you recruit? And most importantly, how do you retain your top talent? And what types of conversations are you having whether it's performance-related, whether it's the interview experience, the onboarding. I think that the opportunity for people to go and apply for a position with not looking at any of their past, they want to move forward, is probably one of the most impactful things that you can do to change a person's life. So... I think there's endless opportunity for organizations to start sharing best practices and to problem solve together and where we're at today because, you know, this new virtual work experience is really important to be paying attention to and making sure that people have the same experience, albeit different than what it was in the past.
2: That's right. And HR really is an opportunity and one of the key opportunities for a business to live out its principles, to not just have the nice rhetoric but to put into practice everything that they actively believe which is why we see so many people in HR interested in conscious capitalism and other areas of the business but this is a real opportunity to live those values out so that people know this is what the company is actually about it's not just them greenwashing or trying to say the right things it's doing the right things
1: yeah yeah and Michael, you talked about kind of your 80-20 role that you really feel as though investing as your people, and you alluded to that, making sure that your benefits are are strong and, and looking at the holistic approach to how you take care of your talent. Have you found that that's been impactful for people? The retention number you just gave is exceptional. Do you find that people are coming to your organization because they're looking for that experience or do they get there and just are kind of wowed once they're a part of it?
0: You know, I don't have the exact numbers, but a huge percentage of our salaried long-term career people came in as hourly people, yeah. and then they might have been post-college or whatever, and then they kind of just grew to love the organization, and then they started getting opportunities, and they started growing their careers over time. And I was referring to the 80-20 rule, what, in our particular business, and, and because we're a relatively large company, we have a lot of hourly workers, and in some markets, our retention rate is relatively high and others, you know, with a lot of hospitality and valet jobs, you know, if people come and work for three years while they're going to school and then go on to different careers. So what we found was we have an overall framework, we call it the last way and kind of aligns us around our mission and our values and our, our main practices as a company. But we found that Really, we put most of our time into our full-time salaried people as far as long-term development because those are the future leaders of the company. And if, if they understand who we are, what we're about, how we tick, how to actualize the mission and the values, and they're going to show up in a way that puts forward our best foot on supporting people. Yeah. And so that attracts more frontline people to maybe stay interested in the long-term or some, again, lead. But we really have found that the 80-20 is put 80% of your efforts into the 20% of the workforce that are the leaders yeah. that can make sure that your day-to-day operations are really fine-tuned and leading those people in a way that's reflective of who we are as a company. Yeah. And it's worked really, real well. And it allows people to develop as leaders because we put a lot of trust in them. We're, we're expecting you to go to your work location every day and represent the company and, you know we use our last way as kind of our compass, if you will to to make the right decisions on a daily basis because there's not a manual for every decision you make.
1: absolutely. you know and I think the training as an investment in leadership development. It's been so important from the get-go, but you're just reading more and more about leaders that need that extra support and development leading in and through this pandemic? And how do they stay connected with their team engaged when so many people are juggling kids going to school and the computer next to them and all those types of things? Are you shifting your training at all to be able to help lead in a virtual environment more so?
0: We've started doing a lot of town halls and online seminars. we have them later today. We have a wonderful woman, our senior VP of people and culture, Andy Campbell, who's like world-class. And she has taken us from the infancy of starting something called Laz University to really just a a series of online and and connected through video conferences and and conferences to help people deal with the different types of stresses, especially in in an environment like this. Although, you know, we're a fast-growing company Mm -hmm. and stress anyway, I mean... you don't show up at Laz and just you know put your feet up and hang out. We are a very fast paced company. We're we're growing, and even through this pandemic, we grow at four to five new locations a week, being oh. added to systems. So we're constantly trying to develop people to fill those slots. So yeah, our online programs are, are pretty strong, and, and we're really proud of what what we've done. It's been a lot of fun to see it work through the pandemic. We had to lay off seventy eight hundred people. We laid off sixty percent of our workforce just because so many of our locations were closed. We're, we've since hired back, I think, close to a couple thousand, and we'll work our way out of it. We're not going to give up until you know we fill all those positions and get people back to work. But staying connected is, is really important in an environment like this.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love the tone hall meetings, and and that's what you're hearing over it. You can't communicate enough. The authentic. Trusting constant conversation and communication is, is so important for people today. So it's fantastic to hear that.
2: This kind of is the elephant in the room with HR right now. So many businesses during this pandemic have been put in positions they've never had to face before, where they've just seen their revenues disappear overnight, and so have had to think in the Conscious Capitalism Network about how you approach furloughing or laying people off in a conscious way something that they've never had to do before and laz is is undertaking that question very seriously we had danny meyer from Union square hospitality group speak at our conference talking about his logic and the way they approach their layoffs and one of the key things here that i'll emphasize has been communication Mm -hmm. so many of the conscious Capital's companies that are doing this are communicating with their people about the position they're in the logic behind this, and even creating opportunities for employees to work with them to think through what options are available. So HR here is not just about hiring and reviews. It's also some really tough stuff, like what do you do with your employees when you lose 80, 90 plus percent of your revenue? And Conscious Capitalism is providing a forum for businesses to share those ideas with each other.
1: Alexander, that's fantastic. and Michael, if you want to add to that.
0: Well, I was just going to say, you know, in our business, in the end of March, we saw a transient revenue drop by 95%. I mean, people were not going to parking lots and parking. That was unprecedented. But one of the first things we did to react was my partners and I, we cut our salaries to zero just to say, look, this is serious. We got to figure our way out of it. And we eventually asked employees of a certain salary level to take cuts, which they did. And and they were very gracious and we're very appreciative of it. And then we also set up a million dollar employee relief fund because we realized we were going to have to lay off people so quickly. And we had never done that before. We had never found a person in our 39 year history. And we did our best to to spread that money amongst as many people as we could based on the needs. We were also very supportive of obviously the government and the $600 a week, which uh, really, I think, helped a lot of. Hourly employees get through this tough time. To, to Alexander's point, you have to step up quickly and say, you know, in these times where we're all facing a similar challenge, like you can't turn and run from your conscious capitalism consciousness, if you will. It's like, okay, how are we going to do this in a way that supports our people and, and keeps our mission alive, but also protects the company to survive. I mean, a lot of companies are just thrown into survival mode, but it, it doesn't mean you turn and run on your 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 values and mission. You just have to tweak things to make sure you're, you're able to balance both.
1: Oh, fantastic. And it's the true test, right? It's very easy to, to talk the talk when you're in the best of times, but it's the true yeah. test that to have something where literally things turned upside down within days. No one could have ever imagined. And I think everybody will kind of remember that moment in those days. And we often kind of talk about the different chapters of this pandemic at M3. But it's, it's when leaders need to show up the most and to, to take a step back. And I think for Laz and for you, Michael, and your partners to cut your salaries to zero and then invest in a fund, again, to say, We don't know where this is going, but we care. And we're going to do everything we can to take care of you. Says so much about an organization. And I think that conscious leaders have such a responsibility now to lead in some of the most challenging times. And uh, you know, if there's ever a time that this forum could be of tremendous value, is to share best practices with going through this. And we also do a lot of career transition work. And whenever we're talking with our clients, the, the word I use all the time is, you know, how can we holistically help these people that are being transitioned out of this organization? And then part of what we do is, is look at the Emotional part of it, first and foremost, is, you know, we just have to be able to help them get their arms around it to have hope is what we talk about first and foremost. Give them the tools to get back on track, but sometimes it's just listening, supporting, and helping them navigate some hard conversations that they may have to go home to, some decisions that have to be made. So I think conscious capitalism and conscious leaders today, if there's ever a time for us to be stepping up and and really be making a difference in people's lives, it's, it's right now, so... Fantastic. And I love I Michael, you mentioned earlier in today's conversation, I'm gonna to fight tooth and nail to get all of these jobs back. And I think that's the perseverance that everybody has right now to be able to, to bring organizations back to to where they were and then what the future holds for us. Which leads me into one of my final questions is you know, I think right now both existing leaders, up and coming leaders need some energy, some support, and some words of wisdom as the old saying goes. And I'd love to hear from both of you what your guiding philosophy has been as we're leading out of this pandemic and and quite honestly, what the future could be for organizations. If you could share a little bit about that, love to hear from both of you.
2: So the inspiration for me really is, leaders like michael and you mary malone and others in conscious capitalism who are looking at this with a mindset of we are going to find a way through this it is an incredibly difficult and challenging time for everyone and some people are hit harder than others but knowing that there are conscious leaders out there who are committed to finding their way forward and are not going to give up until we get through this and not even get back to the old normal but a better normal going forward using this as an opportunity to reflect on what really matters and even accelerate the transition to a more conscious capitalism going forward that there is an opportunity here a silver lining if you will that we have to look at this situation with otherwise it's just too depressing but there is an opportunity to come out even stronger with an even better economic system and even better businesses at the end of this and that's what inspires me. And that's the opportunity that we see across the economy from Conscious Capitalism's perspective.
1: Yeah, no, fantastic. And I think it is, it's that grit and grace that I often use with my team is, you know, we, we've got to really look to the future and to kind of take what we've learned and move forward. Michael, any thoughts, you know, as far as how, you know, and you're probably inspiring leaders at Laz Parking right now and, and people in your network and, and the Conscious kept community of some thoughts to, to keep them going through
0: this. Yeah, well, look, this for this has been a crazy, challenging, unprecedented time in our lives and something none of us ever could have envisioned. So, you know, I think after the first couple of weeks of the shock of how quickly the economy had shifted and shut down, and then we just started getting busy to make sure we could protect the company and, and protect as many of our people as possible you start realizing, hey, now we're managing in a new normal, right? This is not going away overnight. Mm-hmm. and got to manage our way out of it for the next six, eight, ten months, whatever it's going to be. And this is hard, and it's been challenging, and it's been stressful. But the truth is relationships, back to relationships, back to culture, back to DNA, you don't really get to know people until you go through a tough time with them. Mm-hmm. And while we have a lot of history, and, and on some level we kind of say Laz was built for this because Laz had – a lot of different periods of having really tough challenging times in the 90s the company was close to bankrupt and had to fight its way out because it had grown too fast and we weren't keeping track of some things and we just found ourselves in a situation where we needed to fight our way out and we did and through those hard times these incredible relationships are built these relationships of saying hey you know you were you were there for me when the Chips were down. We all pulled together. We got through that together. And I think what's happening now is we have this incredible bond amongst all the key stakeholders, the managers, the executives, the the leaders out in the field, and they're supporting each other. And they're saying, you know what, we got to make it through this because we got to get all these people back to work. Yeah. If I don't show up and, and do a great job, if we don't continue to add more new clients, if we don't retain our existing clients, if we don't collect our money so we can have the cash flow to keep going. like We're in this together. And so I think I think what you're gonna find for, for the companies that do work their way through this, that are successful, their teams are gonna be so much stronger. They're gonna be smarter. They're gonna be more confident. Their relationships are gonna be deeper and more meaningful. Look, we all need to earn money to live. That's just a fact. And I think to your point, you know, great talent can find jobs anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the truth is to create environments where people feel a connection and that their work is more important than just the the money in the bank every two weeks. But they feel like they have meaningful relationships and they're helping change people's lives. And simply put, there's a purpose. What they do, this is bringing an incredible new energy of purpose to our organization and I would hope that other organizations out there that are pulling together are going to come out of the backside of this going, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) didn't see, but pretty freaking amazing experience that we went through. And guess what? We survived, we're stronger, we're better, we're smarter And our relationships with our customers and our clients are better because we're stuck by them as well and they stuck by us. This is the environment where greatness prevails. And so I think there is a lot of positive that'll come out of the backside
1: of this. Yeah, well putt yeah and and i think it is it's it's about purpose it's about passion and that that determination that we're going to we're going to grow from this we're going to go to the other side because we can't get stuck in where we are right now and i think the organizations that are starting to live and look at what we've just accomplished you know so many people said We could never go virtual. We would never be able to work virtually. Well, look what you did in about forty-eight hours. In fact, I was just—I was reading an article last night where the challenge right now is being virtual. People are working too many hours. You know that they're finding that they're working at night, that they're giving. But I think that sort of correlates to your point of they're passionate about helping their organization get through this and to help others come back to work and to help their customers. So I think there's a unified commitment to greater things coming out of this. And we just have to really focus on that and build upon that. And Alexander, it certainly circles back to really the tremendous importance of Conscious Cap as an organization and the purpose that it's serving. It is and and will continue to be a great organization. But I think if there could ever be a guiding compass, which we used that word a couple of times in today's conversation, and that guiding light as an organization, I think Conscious Capitalism is really going to be there for everybody.
2: And what you're doing and sharing this with other people is so critical to this becoming commonplace, to reaching that future where conscious capitalism is redundant, that this is the norm. And I just want to thank you for giving us this opportunity to talk with, with your listeners and for everything that you're doing as well, Mary Malone.
1: True. Well, thank you. It's, it's been wonderful having you both. And if people want to learn more about conscious capitalism, what's the best way to do, go to the website?
2: go to our website, ConsciousCapitalism.org, reach out, let us know. We would love to talk with anyone who's listening right now to to support you.
1: That's fantastic. And as we close, I'd love to hear the stories of the silver lining and the moments that you'll remember and be we'll be telling our children and grandchildren about this pandemic. Michael is there a moment that that really has stood out to you that you'll always remember from this experience and and kind of really made an impact on you as a person and as a leader?
0: Uh, I think I can break that down on a on a business level and a personal level. I think on a business level, you know, about a week week and a half into the pandemic right around the end of March we had to furlough people fast and furiously because so many of our locations were shutting down. And just the gut-wrenching feeling of having these conversations with people that we would have to furlough them for a period of time was for me, you know, literally myself and and a number of us, we would just be in tears every day because we were having these conversations. I think what stands out is everybody we had those conversations with were so gracious. They were like, we understand. We, we know you're going to bring us back. We know this is what needs to happen. Be honest with us on what the situation is. And I think those those moments of connection, the humanity of having those tough conversations and having enough human capital and, and letting people hold on to their dignity through this process, so many people appreciated it and so many people were so gracious. So I just the kind of the graciousness yeah. of, that had We're put in tough situations. I think on a personal level, if I go pre COVID, I was traveling for business all the time. I was traveling personally. I had a very busy life. And this has just slowed everything down. Yeah. And, you know, it used to be like somebody would say, hey, you know, can we talk at such a time, whatever. And I was like, oh, no, I'm here. I'm there. I'm doing this and that. Now it's like, yeah, you know, I have time.
1: Yeah.
0: People, I hear this again and again people spending time with their families, you know, and they're not going out and entertaining themselves as much. They're just, they're playing games or they're teaching their kids online or they're, you know, reading a book more to their children. They're, they're home more. It's kind of cliche because a lot of people have said it, but on some level, the world was getting crazy. Yeah. And this has just been a big, giant time out. Of, you know, let's kind of think about how we want to live and what's really important to us. And I think, I think that's the silver lining, hopefully for us as a, as a nation, even as a world, is it's getting a little crazy. Like yeah. we can all slow down a little bit and enjoy and appreciate what's the most meaningful parts of our life.
1: Yeah, well put. That the pause button, I think, is something that a lot of people are talking about and and the impact that it's had and and the ability to, you know, whether it's a Zoom family gathering or sitting around the dinner table together. I personally feel very much the same. And I think, you know, just sitting and thinking, you know, we, we were talking a lot, our family hasn't been together for an extended period of time for, for eight years. And to be able to sit down night after night, although I had to, I had to crank up my cooking skills, I do have to say, <laughs> but to have that time of just relaxed conversation where people weren't in and out was just so important. So thank you. Alexander, I'd love to hear your experiences.
2: For me, it's seeing so many businesses double down on their principles, their conscious capitalist values, rather than run away from them. Yes, mm. some did run away. They prioritized other things. But overall, it's just been so heartwarming and inspiring to see so many conscious capitalist businesses say, this is what's going to get us through this crisis, and this is what's going to lead us to be stronger on the other end.
1: Yeah fantastic. Yep. And I'm sure you were in many, many conversations with organizations and helping them navigate how they work through this. So fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you, Michael, Alexander. This was absolutely fantastic. I could talk to you both for hours and really appreciate the time that you shared with M3 and with our audience. Looking forward to continuing to stay in touch and to see how we emerge out of this together as as better leaders and better organizations. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Murray. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Moments with M3 Leadership Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. For more information on our vision, please visit m3placement.com.